because we got the alternative energy right. molecular free autonomy and welcome to the radioactive show produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne and heard nationally on the community radio network hello and welcome to the radioactive show produced on unceded Wurundjeri lands at 3CR in Nam, Melbourne, and brought to you with the support of the ACE Nuclear Free Collective at Friends of the Earth. My name is AC, and on today's show I speak with Candice Poole. Candice is a mother, a grandmother, an educator and a protector. She and her family are members of English River First Nation, Dene Selene, who are still gleaning their sustenance from the lands and waters of La Plonge Reserve in northwestern Saskatchewan, Canada. She's also Outreach Coordinator for the Committee for Future Generations, who successfully fought a proposal for a high-level nuclear waste dump and have now shifted their focus to uranium mining. I talk with her about the effects of uranium mining on Dene, Cree and Métis communities in northern Saskatchewan. I'm Candice Paul. I'm one of the volunteers in northern Saskatchewan, Canada, who... Um, responded to the nuclear waste proposal plans for our area back in 2011 and on and on and on for about four years until we chased them out of Saskatchewan with that plan. But when we uh, were successful with doing that, we realized we have to do something about the uranium mining uh, in Canada, all of which takes place in our traditional Dene Sukine, uh Cree and Métis territory. So ever since uh, that, we've focused on the uranium mining. And there's um, there were like five active mines, four active mines in in Saskatchewan until recently. Okay. And sort of how are these mines impacting on First Nations communities in northern Saskatchewan? Well, they're all fly-in mines because back in the day um, of Uranium City during the Cold War, they developed a city right next to the mine. And then when people started getting sick, they dispersed the population so it wouldn't show up as cancer clusters. They decided that any further mines in the future would be fly-in only. Hmm. So for our populations, most of northern Saskatchewan is uh, Indigenous people. Hmm. About 35,000 that live in northern Saskatchewan. And the mining companies agreed uh, in some talks in the early 80s that you know, they would try and use indigenous labor. Mm. So what that did was the people that were hired, they had to live away from their families uh, anywhere from three weeks to a week Mm. and then come home for a week and go back. So it took the parents out of the community. Mm. And our people had already been suffering from the residential schools where they took the kids away from the parents. Mm. So they just reversed it. And we've had kind of um, a significant dysfunction of and disruption of the family, the nuclear family. 
hate to say nuclear family, <laughs> but the family. So, you know, we, we used to teach school, and we could tell when a kid's parent was going to be coming back or leaving for work because the dynamics of the family would change. Mm. It, it's, it, that was one of the things that, that has been um, part of how it impacts our people. The other thing is our health. The yeah. cancer rates have been soaring. The incidence of lupus is high. For higher than the average across the country. It's higher here. Mm. Um, incidence of kidney disease is up. And we're starting to see more birth defects in some of the northern communities that were have been impacted longer. The trouble is, we're out of sight, out of mind. Quite often, uh, people who have died of cancers are not. That's not even listed on their death certificate. If it was lung cancer, it'll say they died of asphyxiation. Yeah. And they don't keep the cancer statistics for northern residents the same way they do as for southern residents, because most of the treatment takes place in the south. Yeah, right. It doesn't take place in our communities. It's a catch-22. We can't. They never did baseline health studies in our area, and so when we try to say that it's it could be related radionuclides and heavy metals that are put into our food chain now because we still live a lot of people still live from the land. They eat the moose, they eat the caribou, they eat the fish, they eat the berries, they use the medicine teas. Mm. And all of these things are found to have radionuclides in them and heavy metals in them. Um, So we found that, you know, miners in former, uh, the Clough Lake mine, which opened in the 70s and operated for about 20 years, um, it closed about almost 20 years ago now. Most of the miners that work there have died from cancer. Yeah, right. So people aren't trusting the idea of a new mine. Yeah. Um, Patterson Lake is a site that's just south of uh, the old Clough Lake site on the edge of the Athabasca Basin. And the Athabasca Basin is all Denisofina territory, and the entire thing is covered in mineral claims. There's over 2,700 mineral claims. So Patterson Lake... South has been what has been touted as a big discovery mm-hmm. of high, high-grade ore, the highest-grade ore of all so far. And the lake itself is a beautiful, beautiful lake, clear, clear water. Like, you you can see the bottom. It was just gorgeous there. There used to be people who lived out there, had cabins out there, they had their trap lines out there, but the government of Saskatchewan um, had a let it burn policy for a couple of decades, and so they burned them out, basically. They didn't mm-hmm. protect their properties at all. 
And, of course, nobody has insurance in northern Saskatchewan. So you just lost it. Yes. So it was a way of clearing the land, getting people off the land as well, making it open and available for these mineral companies, these exploration companies. So there's a company called Fission Uranium, and it is 20% owned by CGN, a Chinese um, uranium supply company. I guess they supply for the nuclear power plants in China. Mm. So they bought 20% of the company. Yeah. And they have two members of their company on board of directors of Fission Uranium. So basically, the only country in the world that's really building reactors right now in any uh, amount is China. Yeah, right. right now, the market across the world for uranium is at rock bottom. Yep. And... The other mines that are were operating in northern Saskatchewan, uh, there was the um, MacArthur River, Rabbit Lake, McLean Lake, and Cigar Lake. Yeah. Of those, only Cigar Lake is operating at this time because they've cut back production because there's an oversupply in the market since 2011 when Japan shut down its reactors in response to the Fukushima disaster, triple meltdown. All of these people that used to work for the mines uh, got laid off. And they were told they would be laid off until November. Uh, The layoffs started in January, and now uh, they've they have been told these are more permanent layoffs. Yeah. However, the only companies right now that are operating are exploration companies um, like Fission Uranium. And they're, they're, they're still acting like it's, it's a big commodity and that they're going to be a lot of. Yeah. And they're playing, they're gambling on... Um, on the market for finding and securing supplies for the future in the hope that the uranium market picks up. So Patterson Lake, um, they are moving forward with this as quickly as possible. They had beefed up their board of directors with people who are into the financing marketing of of side of things. They beefed it up with a person who is good at, you know, dealing with the regulatory situations, uh, environmental assessments. So they're they're moving forward. There's another company right next to it called uh, NextGen, and they're moving forward as well. So they're finding quite a supply in that area. Um, the thing with the Patterson Lake uh, deposit is most of it is under the lake. They've done exploration drilling in the lake in the winter time, identified where where the ore is, 
and their plan is to dike in a horseshoe shape, a long horseshoe shape, over that deposit, yeah. drain that part of the lake, and turn that into an open pit mine. Yeah, right. The other deposits that are on land, just adjacent to that, are they're they're looking at as being underground. Yeah. But the fourth first four years will be an is this is their projections. The fourth first four years would open debt. This lake actually feeds the ecosystems, the watershed, both north and south and east. So it would impact if something happened because Everybody knows what happens when an open pit mine becomes a tailings pit, right? Yeah. If anything ever happened, this this hole, and if they begin to process, like, mill it there, um, because there is no mill close by, the Clothic Mill is no longer exists, they, they would either have to build a mill on site or transport it to either Key Lake or McLean Lake, yeah. which is farther east, and there's actually no road in that area going that direction at this point in time. So they would have to make agreements with Cameco and Ariba on those mills. Yeah. Then, uh, so if it became a tailings bond, it would be a disaster waiting to happen. That's Candace Paul speaking there about a proposed uranium mine at Lake Patterson in northern Saskatchewan. You're listening to The Radioactive Show. Next up, Candace talks about community resistance to the new mine. She mentions the RCMP, that's the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, for those who are not familiar with the term. So people from the area up there have been... um, People from the area up there have been trying to uh, raise awareness. We've been working with them for several years now to raise awareness on what this mine entails. We did a prayer paddle up there last year in June, mm-hmm. and uh, and to show the land that it is and the lake that it is still loved. And then in September, a local person did a, a from up there did a video that kind of just took off, and thousands and thousands and thousands of people watched this video. Yeah. And he spoke about the uranium mining and the impacts on the people, and so forth. And he actually got an award at the Montreal Film Festival for his for his little video. Just, um, and we went up there in September last year as well, and we did a teach-in. Because people are already being impacted by by the uh, exploration that's going on. It's affecting how they use the land. They, They are blocked from going hunting in places where they normally used to go hunting. They uh, get followed by helicopters. Um, they get followed by helicopters when they go to the 
trap lines. They have to go through security gates to get to their trap lines if they're allowed through. When we did the action, the prayer paddle, there was a helicopter that flew over and did surveillance and took pictures of us. Mm. And security from the company drove over to where we were camped and to check out what we were doing. Yep. And then when we went up again in September, um, they got wind, the they got wind of what we were planning, and they called the RCMP. Before we went up there, the RCMP called me at home and asked me if we were planning, like, to tell me that, you know, roadblocks are illegal. Yeah. Which I assured them we weren't going to do a roadblock. So um, we set out a press release last year on this action, and we got some responses from CBC Radio, and we told them about the helicopters harassing people, surveilling people. So they phoned the company, and of course, the company denied. Yeah. But when we went up there to do the second action last year, no helicopter. Yeah. Because they knew we'd have cameras. So there were all kinds. There was about, when we did this action up there, this young guy drummed up about 80 people. And they they all went up, and we had a teach-in up there on what the plan, you know, what's, what's being scheduled for this. The uh, children started asking questions. The children that were there started asking questions. Yeah. And they had really, really good questions. And they are not interested in having any more uranium mines. People have suffered enough grief from loss of relatives, from separation in the families, and nobody ever made nobody ever made a lot of money. There's no stability in it. Yeah. Um, they also complained a lot about, you know, you get a job with these companies and, and you're told you just work and shut up. Mm. If you say things, if you got concerns, you end up on a blacklist. Yeah. So th- these are things they don't, they're not willing to put up with anymore. They know, they know that it's not safe. Yeah. Uh, the numbers of people suffering from kidney disease in that in those communities up there is just it's, it's really alarming. Yeah, and they all yeah. have to travel south for treatment. Yeah, you know, three times a week. Yeah, it's it's just you know they made these billions and billions of dollars off of off of this region, and we don't even warrant the services in the region to to deal with the consequences. Yeah. Um, so this young fellow, his name was, is this young fellow who did the film, his name is Ashton Janvier. And he put together another film. They're airing it for the first time. The first viewing is day up in Laloche, in the community of Laloche. Great. 
and he invited us to come up to Patterson Lake again um, a couple weeks ago and be part, take part in the film. Yeah. So I'm really excited to see what's going to happen with this because it's been suggested that uh, he, it's been suggested that he get this his films into the Uranium Film Festival, yeah. which is taking place in uh, Diné in Navajo Nation. Yeah. Who Dina and Dene are distant relatives of one another, all part of the same language group. It's uh, exciting to see this happening at this time because it's really difficult to get actions going in these remote places. Yeah. People are are scared. Yeah. You know, the Patterson Lake thing, you know, like, what it was, they were exploring in there three years before they had any conversations and consultations with the indigenous people. Yeah. The government of Saskatchewan let them go ahead, gave them permission. Their idea of consultation is sending a letter to the Trappers Association president, um, the First Nation, and that's it. You've got 30 days to respond to this permit. Yeah. It's already been permitted. You have 30 days to respond if you have a, a, a concern. And they don't consider your traditional knowledge as... I mean, as anything of value. Yeah. And most of the people don't have great writing skills. They don't have access to people with scientific backgrounds who could, you know, assist them with with voicing their concerns. And 30 days isn't even enough time to contact all the members of their communities. Yeah. But what they did... Um, if you check Fission Uranium's website, they went to the chief of the Clearwater River Dene Nation there. Mm-hmm. And they made him an offer. He ran an outfitting camp. They rent his outfitting camp to house their workers and provide meals for their workers. So he's, he's making money, personal money, mm. from these mines. Uh, he has been placed on their advisory board so that he is the voice of consultation, the only voice of consultation of First Nations people and Indigenous people in the area. It's a conflict of interest with his nation. Yeah. He cannot make decisions for the good of his nation if he's in a position where he is making money for himself. This is this is the concern people have. Uh, members of his community have um, the surrounding Métis people, the mixed blood people. Mm. They have, you know, he doesn't speak for them. Yeah. And you know, past experience is that these companies come in, they take out millions. The government promises prosperity, you'll get this, you'll get that, you don't ever get it. Yeah. You know? And you still live in the boonies. Yeah. And then, when they're gone, you live in the contaminated boonies. Yeah. 
like the experience with the decommissioning of the Cloth Lake mine is too, that now we're finding out that, you know, animals are pawing through the, like moose are pawing through the cover on the tailings pond to get at the salty contaminated stuff underneath. Beaver are living in there and, and, you know, the provincial biologists and the Canadian Nuclear Safety Commission are all saying, well, you know, that's not a problem. They can't, they're they're not going to be disturbing um, the cover. Mm. But what some whistleblowers have been saying is that cover was never adequate to start with. It yeah. was less than a meter in many places. And beaver dig in the mud. <laughs> yeah. Know? They've they've found moose tracks in there. Um, they've hunt. Um, th- this whistleblower hunted a moose up there. He had worked on the decommissioning of the mine, and he hunted a moose up there, and the moose was sick. The liver was bad. Yeah. Anybody who's ever hunted as an additional hunter knows when an animal, you know, is not healthy. Yeah. So he took the being that he had worked in the mines. He took samples samples of kidney, the liver, the bones, the meat, you know, the meat tissue, the muscle tissue. And he sent them out to an independent um, uh, lab for analysis. Yes. And what came back was that, yes, there are levels, there are discernible levels of radionuclides and um, heavy metals in the meat. Yeah. The CNSC, he took it to the Canadian Nuclear Safety Commission, and they had the Saskatchewan um, Health Officer for the North saying, you know, there's nothing wrong with this meat. Mm. I actually sent the the report out to the lab at Crerad in France. Yeah. And they got back to me immediately because the polonium in the kidneys was really high, but yeah. it was masked because it was listed as a different unit. Yeah, right. So, you know, they were telling him to go ahead and eat this meat. Yeah. And he's saying, no, I don't think so. I'm not eating this meat. But it's been well known that, like, a long-established connection between Saskatchewan Health Authority and uh, the mines, Chemical and Areva. They've had a community vitality monitoring partnership going for almost 20 years now. And they pay for whatever studies are wanted. We asked for a baseline health study. There, like I said, there was no baseline health studies ever done. We asked for a comprehensive study in the north. Yeah. The Saskatchewan Health Officer said we don't need one. Canadian Nuclear Safety Commission President Mr. Binder at the time said, well, what kind of studies do you need? And he said, we need a wellness study. So Chemical paid for a wellness study. And really, you know, like everybody in the North is still reeling from all the colonial uh, impacts and from grief mm. and trauma 
of the residential schools and everything else and being pushed off the land when they were nomadic peoples. And, of course, there's, you know, differences to our wellness. <laughs> yeah. So it was a pretty lame study. Yeah. Um, just to sort of finish up, what would, how could people from Australia support you and protectors who are working against these mines and trying to hold the nuclear industry accountable? Oh, keep fighting the same companies. You guys have chemical. Yeah. In, in in Australia, and I'm pretty sure they've cut back on things they had planned to do as well. If we can take them out, it's good, you know. They're, they're, they are struggling hard. Yeah. And everything you guys are doing is helping to raise awareness on, on what uranium mining is doing to the planet. Um... Over here, we need a lot of help in terms of being able to travel and get to our communities because they're so remote, just like Australia. Um, We are facing um, another aspect of this is um, in Canada, they're really promoting the idea of the use of small modular reactors. Yeah. And that's something we need to fight hard because that's the only thing that they have going that might, they hope, keep this industry alive. And one of the concerns I have is they've been planning a northern corridor across northern Canada, a transportation corridor. You have couple of them in Australia as well already and they've they've consulted with the Australian authorities. No Aboriginal people. Yeah. Uh and none about the impact that those road corridors and rail corridors have had on them. Mm. But um they're pushing hard for that. And so they can bring in more resource extraction, um, do more, and this would be the dangerous goods route for all hazardous materials across Canada. Yeah. And it's part of the China plan. It's part of the Belt Belt and Roads plan that China has implemented and they had um, Canada had agreed to give them several large projects um, with the FIPA when they signed the FIPA agreement with China. Mm. So it's all developing really quick in so many different directions that it's it's really hard for a few handfuls of people to pull it together. There isn't a lot of love. For the industry right now, mm. a lot of people who work for the industry are hurting. Um, they're anticipating getting sick, yeah, because they see so many of their compatriots get sick. Uh, a lot, it's opened a lot more people up to blowing the whistle on things now. Yeah, so that's a good thing. 
So we're keeping track of that. Even getting the whistleblowers because they want to do, they want to be interviewed. They want it recorded. They want it filmed. Yeah. This is another project that we want to work on. That was Candace Poole, educator and protector, fighting the nuclear industry from English River First Nation, Dene Sulene, in northern Saskatchewan, Canada. To see the award-winning video that Candace mentions, go to the Radioactive Show Facebook page. I've added a link there. It's well worth looking up. Beautiful, powerful, and clear. Much like my guest on the show today. Thank you so much to Candace for taking the time to speak with me. My full interview with her is available as a podcast on our website, 3cr.org.au forward slash radioactive, and I'll add a link to the film there too. I'm AC Hunter, and you've been listening to The Radioactive Show. The Radioactive Show would like to thank the Ace Nuclear Free Collective at Friends of the Earth for their awesome financial support, and also Community Radio Network, who gets this program to you around Australia. The Radioactive Show is produced in the studios of 3CR in Nam, Melbourne, on Wurundjeri Country. If you'd like to get in touch with The Radioactive Show, you can call us on 03... 94198377. You could send us an email at radioactiveshow.3cr at gmail.com or you can go to our Facebook page. Thanks for listening and here's to a nuclear free future.